Hi, it's dating coach Chris Luna from Craft Charisma. Welcome to the Craft Charisma podcast, our free audio coaching program where we interview the top experts in the world at helping you become the man you've always wanted to be. My guest today is Dr. Aziz Gasapura. Dr. Gasapura is a clinical psychologist and one of the world's leading experts on social confidence. In fact, he's the founder of the Center for Social Confidence, an organization dedicated to helping men break through their shyness and social anxiety, as well as the author of the book, The Solution to Social Anxiety. Aziz, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me, Chris. I'm excited to be here with you. Aziz, can you tell the listeners a little bit about your background and then maybe talk a little bit about what you do? Sure. So uh, I, I currently uh, work with uh, mostly men, but also women as well now more and more uh, to help them overcome shyness, social blocks, social fears, to develop a lot more confidence in themselves, to really be able to be free to be themselves around people. And it's something I've been passionate about for, for many years. And what led me to it was actually massive pain, um, pain in my own life, pain in my, of my own struggle of feeling really limited by shyness, by social anxiety, uh, not able to do what I want. And the biggest pain point, which is what I think you really help people with, is pain around their dating lives. I mean, I didn't even have a dating life. I remember um, my aunt, who lives down in Los Angeles, she's, uh, she's a bit more nosy than my other family members. So we'd go down there for Thanksgiving or summer or whatever, and I was in high school, and she'd be like, so Aziz, how's your love life? And I mean, it's a simple question, but I remember I would feel so much like shame and embarrassment, and I'd want to change the subject as quickly as possible. And I just felt incredibly stuck in that area of my life. And that continued. It didn't just magically solve itself or something. I didn't just outgrow it. So I was really stuck um, until uh, I reached like a breaking point when I was in my early 20s where I was just like, oh, my God, I'm, this is not going to change. Like, I'm going to be this way when I'm 42 if I don't do something about this. And uh, so <laughs> I started with the Internet. And uh, if you search the Internet, what, what you first find uh, – when you're looking for help around dating is pickup artist stuff. And so I, I learned some of that and some of it was really helpful. And some of it was really, you know, kind of, uh, didn't serve me, but it was the first step. And, that, and at that point I learned that you could do something about your confidence or, or as you teach, you know, your charisma and how you affect people. And, and so from there, uh, for my own personal development, I decided I really wanted to figure this area out. And so I, you know, threw myself into personal development, read, hundreds of books, went to seminars, went into therapy, did coaching, did group therapy. I actually went and went to uh, the Stanford PsyD Consortium in, in Palo Alto in California and did a doctorate in clinical psychology to understand like therapy and change at the deepest level. So I've just been immersed in this for, I don't know, a decade now at this point about really how to help transform myself and then help other people do the same. Aziz, one of the things that I noticed about you in my research was that you really do have this great balance, this balance between real world experience that gives you the ability to give people practical advice and then this academic background that helps you to understand why it is that people do the things that they do, which leads me into an important question. What are some of the factors and fears that hold people back from social success and how can they overcome them? That is a that's a good question. I, I think that that fear is the the biggest obstacle to confidence. I mean, you might even say that uh, 
a lack of confidence uh, leads to a lot of fear in life, fear and anxiety and, and holding back. But there's something that's even more of an obstacle than fear for people, and that's something that I always start with when I work with someone, is their story, which is layered on top of the fear. And the story is the set of ideas and beliefs that we have about ourselves, about what we're capable of, what's possible. Uh, am I attractive or unattractive? You know, for example, I had a story for many years of my life where I was, that I was very unattractive and I had very specific elements. So my eyes look like this, my face looks like that, my body's this shape or that size. So therefore, I'm not attractive. That was my story for many years. You can have a story about how people are going to respond to you. I'm sure you see this in people you, you work with is, you know, uh, a very common story for men when they want to, they're single and they want to expand their social life and their dating life. If I go talk to that woman that I don't know, she's going to be upset with me. She's going to be offended. She's going to think I'm bothering her. And so there's this story about how other people are going to respond to you. And that is the biggest obstacle to confidence because as long as you're telling yourself that story and it feels totally true, you just don't even try. I mean, I just didn't even approach women. I didn't even talk to women because I was like, well, I'm ugly anyway, so why would it? They're not going to want to talk to me, so why would I do it? And so that was the biggest block. So you have to first identify what the stories are and start to challenge them because underneath the story, then that's just fear. Uh, and there's really kind of only one or two major fears that are underneath. And I thought I'm just curious about, because I have an idea of what, what I've seen in people, but just in your experience, and I know you, you guys actually work with people in, out in the world and help them really make these shifts. What would you say the biggest fear that, that you see is, Chris, in the work that you do with people? Fear of rejection. Exactly, right? It's fear of rejection. And that's, that's what I've seen too. And I love how quickly you answer that. You're like, duh, I know. I've seen it again and again. And, and I think what's, what happens is there's a fear of rejection or, or failure. It's two different words for the same thing. And then what happens is we get rejected, and if we haven't learned how to manage rejection or change our ideas about rejection, then we make it mean I'm unlovable, I'm not enough, I'm not attractive enough, smart enough, intelligent enough, rich enough, suave enough, whatever, and therefore I'm, I didn't earn this person's love. I'm not lovable. And that feeling that we get, that feeling of shame and unworthiness, that is the deepest fear that we're all trying to avoid. And so in order to really take charge of this, because the second part of your question was how do they, how can we overcome it? We have to identify these stories. We have to create new ones that really empower us to go out there and start taking those risks. And then we have to learn how to confront this deep fear in us of, of rejection and to, to get to the point where, you know, I'm sure anyone that you've worked with that's been successful in this area learns how to not be so bothered by a little rejection, how to not take it so personally and how to know that ultimately it's not about my lovability. It's just about a fit with this person. I think, I mean, I think you're right. I, 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 I want to dig even deeper here. You talked a lot about kind of stories or personal narratives, uh, or even the narratives that we tell ourselves when we're approaching, for example, a, a girl that we see attractive or, uh, some person that we want to talk to the, these narratives that we construct, about what's going to happen, which are most cases uh, uh, fantasies, right? They're not really, they're just kind of grounded in our own anxieties and, and not really what's happening in, in, in the environment. How, how, how can we first identify these stories? You talked about it, but what are some kind of specific things that guys can do 
to identify the the stories that that are inhibiting them from from really kind of being happy and successful and and confident in their lives that's that's a great question i'd say the easiest way to do it is to uh, either put yourself in a situation or imagine a situation where you feel anxiety or fear so let's just use the example of uh, starting a conversation with a woman because i think it's something that almost any man can identify with and even if you're married now at this point you still probably remember back to your your single days where you know you see a woman across the way at a bar or a coffee shop or whatever and the idea of walking over to her uh, fills a lot of guys with fear to the point where most men unless they've worked on this won't do it and so anyone who's listening right now, I just encourage you to imagine that situation. Imagine yourself, you're in a coffee shop or a supermarket or wherever, a bar, and you see a woman that you're really drawn to. She's really compelling. And just take one moment and really imagine that scene and just paint a picture in your mind. And then if you feel a little nervous or there's some uh, hesitancy in you to go talk to her, maybe even think back to the last time this happened. For some people, it might just be yesterday. Notice what is it that you tell yourself about going and talking to her? What are the actual words that go through your mind? And pay attention. It might also come to you in the form of images. You might see it going poorly. You might hear in your mind, oh, this is going to be annoying. Oh, I can't say that. She's not going to like me. Those are the things that you want to pay close attention to. And if you are out and about today and you see someone you're attracted to and you and you just pay attention in that moment. What is it that I'm telling myself? And that will start to give you very specific information about your particular story. Because even though the stories are similar in their theme, they're very different for each of us to, and it has very different language and patterns of, of words that come together to make our specific story. And that story has a lot of power. So for someone, the story is, you know, I'm ugly has a certain power. And for some person, like my specific story is the area around my eyes is disgusting. And so the, the specific wording was so powerful and just like hurt so much in my core. So you got to find out that, and, you know, and, and it kind of makes you feel bad to focus on this stuff, but it's part of the liberation process. So really get a specific example and find out the specific things that you tell yourself. And then the third step is just actually write that stuff down, get it out of your head and onto a sheet of paper or in a journal or on a document file on your computer, wherever, because that's the first step to identifying it so you can change it. So somebody's now kind of identified what it is, uh, some of the things that are holding them back, or especially within the context of, of the narratives we all tell ourselves uh, or, or use to kind of define our egos or identity or whatever, however somebody wants to describe this. Uh, now um, they've they've done this and they've even exce- uh, even moved on to the point where they've now documented this and wrote this down on a piece of paper so they, so they can look at it, stare at it, read it back to themselves. They they got to a point where they kind of know what's going on um, and they want to challenge these kind of inhibiting beliefs. Um, how, how does a person go about doing that? That is a really good question uh, because a lot of people that I've talked to, I actually end up working with people who have uh, gone into therapy or done something before, and it was helpful. They have more insight into what's going on. Now I know what I say to myself. Now I know why I feel this way, but they haven't really reached the level of freedom that they want, and they are, they're looking for more, and they find me. And, and what we do is we take it beyond intellectual insight and understanding, 
and really take it into a transformation. And the way to do that is to take action. But there's, a, there's an intermediate step, which is really important, because going from this horrible story to action is kind of hard, because if you're telling yourself, I'm ugly and no one's going to talk to me, then going, going out there and trying to take action is going to be really tough. So the intermediate step is to create a new, empowering story. So what you want to do is think about that exact, exact uh, the, the situation we were talking about earlier, whether it was in a coffee shop or a place where you see a woman, and think about what would you really want to be able to do in a situation like that? Like, if you had all the confidence that you wanted, uh, what would you do? How would it unfold? And for most people, it's, well, I'd walk over there and talk to her without expectation, and it would be no big deal either way, and I'd just feel comfortable in myself. But whatever it is for you, once you get a picture of what it is that you do want, ask yourself this question. What is the story that I would need to have in order to get to where I want to go? What is the story that I would need to have in order to be able to do whatever it is that I want to do? And then write that down. Just start writing down ideas. It doesn't have to be the perfect story or the exact right wording or just the first thing that comes to your mind. Well, I have to think to myself, um, I'm an attractive guy. Or I guess I would have to think to myself that she would want to talk with me. And when I do this with, uh, with guys in person or on the phone or whatever, um, usually the first story that we come up with is basically our old crappy negative story, but with like a knot in it. So, for example, I was doing this with one guy, and it was his thing was like, um, basically it was like, I'm repulsive to women, and, you know, and, and they're going to uh, reject me if I go talk to them was his story. And uh, so when we did this, I was like, okay, let's come up with this new empowering story. And he's like, I'm not repulsive to women. <laughs> and uh, he had this, like, his voice went up like two octaves at the end. It was like this big question mark on his face because it was like scrambling his brain. His brain had never thought that that might be possible. So you want to get a little better than just I'm not horribly unattractive. It's like really find what is the real story that would really serve you. And so what we came up for him was I'm a deadly handsome man and women are dying for me to come talk with them. And it was so over the top, it actually made him laugh, which is a good part as well. It can kind of break the seriousness of all this. So there, you come up with your new empowering story and there's all kinds of interesting techniques uh, I could go into about how to reinforce that. And then the most important step is then you got to go test it out in the real world. You got to take action. And I know you're a big believer in that and that's what you do with people is help them go out there and take action in the world. So we can get into that too if you want more, but that's the the main step is then getting you to take action. This is great. I mean, you have some wonderful, wonderful ideas and some really, um, really great advice that the guys who are listening to this, I know you can kind of sit down, listen to this again and, and kind of easily apply and implement into their life. And, and on behalf of them, uh, I'm going to thank you because I know they appreciate it. I, I want to take a step back. You mentioned some specific strategies for reinforcing uh, a story. Uh, you said that there's a, a series of them that we could kind of go into. Would you mind going into uh, to a couple different different tips for re- reinforcing kind of this new narrative that uh, the people who are listening to are going to sit down and develop for themselves? Sure, absolutely. I mean, that's it's it's really important. I, I love how you're going step by step to really make this a very uh, in and of itself. If someone went through all these exercises, it can have a powerful effect on on freeing them up. Um, so what happens is the old story has a lot of power. It's very convincing. 
And it's very convincing for two reasons. One is we have a lot of evidence for it. So if you were to say, I'm unattractive, well, how do you know? Well, because this happened when I was 12, and then I tried to ask this person out, and she said no, and we just kind of list off all the evidence for that story. So a story is convincing if we have a lot of evidence for it, and it's also convincing if we've repeated it enough times. And usually the old negative story, we've repeated 10,000 times, give or take. I mean, it depends on how many years you've had it. But I know some stories that I told myself, I literally, every time I saw an attractive woman, I mean, which could happen a couple times a day, there the story would repeat. Every time I looked in a mirror, I might criticize my appearance and repeat a certain aspect of the story. And so this can really add up pretty quickly. So you have a lot of repetition, a lot of evidence. So how do we shift that and get the new story that's really going to serve us to start to feel true? Now, here's the thing. It has to feel just true enough for you to be willing to go test it in the world. You know, because sometimes I work with guys and they want to say, okay, let's do that thing that you're talking about so I can get rid of all my fear and feel all the confidence and really believe my new story. And then I'll go out into the world and make all these changes, whether it's talking to women or creating a business or, you know, doing something that scares them. And I'm like, well, that's a great attempt to avoid all sorts of rejection in your life. But the reality is you just have to get enough courage to get out there and just start doing it. And so that's what these things are about, is how to get you courage in the moment to believe that story enough to at least be willing to test it. And one thing that I'm a huge fan of is something called emphatic declaration, which I talk about in my book, which is repeating that new story with a level of intensity that engages your body and your mind. So for example, you know, I had this guy come up with this new story. He said, I'm a deadly handsome man and women are dying to come talk with me. I said, great. Well, just go ahead and say that, you know, say it out loud. Try it on for size. So that's one level of reinforcement is saying it out loud. And so he said, I'm a deadly handsome man and women are dying to come talk with me. I was like, okay, that's, that's good. It's the first step. But now we're in the realm of affirmation. And that's what people do. They say affirmations and like, I'm a, I'm an attractive person. People like me. And my experience with affirmations and I really tried them. I read, I read Louise Hayes books and I was like, okay, affirmations are going to save my life. And I just didn't feel any different. And my mind got bored doing them and it didn't really do much for me. So this is a little different. So we had to turn it up a notch. So I said, why don't you stand up? And if anyone who's listening right now, and if you can stand up, cause it's really powerful and actually use your body and gesture fully and take full deep breaths and then say, and kind of go on a rant. So I had this guy in my office and I said, let's go on a rant and it kind of work him up a little bit. So he you know, was able to do it with me. He felt a little self-conscious at first, but that's okay. And I said, okay, really go on this rant. And he started to get more and more into it. And I'd say again and again. And so at the end he's saying, I'm a deadly handsome man. I'm so attractive. Of course, women are going to want to talk to me. Of course I can do this. Of course. I mean, she's dying for me to come talk with her. I am a deadly handsome man, of course. And he's just going on and on. And he's kind of worked up into a frenzy. And I said, good, now pause. Now, how do you feel? And he said, I feel pretty good. And so now is that going to last? I mean, is he going to feel that way forever? No, because that old story's got a lot of power. But now he's in a place where he can go take action and test it out and go see what happens when he really talks with that person. Because all the fears, as you said, are fantasies. I mean... It's not true what he says is going to happen in his mind. It's just an idea. It's just a story. So now he's poised to take action. So emphatic declaration is something huge. I highly recommend it. I mean, I still do it to this day. I'm, I uh, bike to work here in Portland, and I'm biking down the street, 
And whatever I need to reinforce on myself that day, I'm, I'm going down the street and I'm, uh, <laughs> and I'm yelling it out. I'm using my body. I'm gesturing and I'm sure I look a little crazy, but I don't care because it produces powerful results in my life. Can you talk a little bit about why, why that is? Um, because I think that there, there is an element here where it's important for people to realize that things like the, the, the volume of your voice or, um, the size of your movements or the energy with your movements, they have, they have an impact on, um, kind of personal experience and perception and even our, our, our moods and emotions that are important. So I, I'm wondering if you can maybe expand a little bit about uh, a little bit on this kind of idea of why, uh, why emphatic repetition, um, has the potential to be effective for someone. Sure. That's a, that's a really great question. And I think the simple answer is that because our, our mind and our emotions and our body are all connected. Like if you think about it, if you said, you know, what are you feeling right now? Are you feeling excited? Are you feeling nervous? What someone does when they answer that question is they, they, they pay attention to how their body feels. And every emotion has a specific set of ex- uh, sensations in your body, tightness in your chest or flutter in your stomach or shortness of breath. I mean, so the mind and the body and the emotions are all intricately connected. And there's a really interesting research study, and I can't remember where I heard about this, but they actually did this study where they took nurses in a, in a hospital and they wanted to just study the effect between um, body and, and emotion. And so what they did is they had the nurses doing some task that was pretty much you know agreed upon by all the nurses that it sort of sucked. It was some sort of note-taking or documentation. That was a pretty boring task. And what they did is they broke the nurses up into two different groups, and they had one uh, group of nurses do the task as usual, and they had one group of nurses hold a pencil in between their teeth, kind of sideways. You can imagine that. Imagine like a pencil sideways between your teeth. And what happens when someone's doing that is it forces a slight smile. You can't hold a pencil between your teeth without having some sort of uh, upcurling of, of, the, of the lips. And then at the end, they had them rate how pleasurable or unpleasurable the task was. And the, the group that had the pencil in their mouth reported the task as more pleasurable than it was before and than it was with a group that had nothing. So there's this powerful interconnectivity. And there's a woman, I forget her name, who just did a TED Talk about this. Uh, she'd done research on power poses, where if you hold a certain pose that embodies like badassness, basically, for, for 120 seconds, it uh, increases testosterone, lowers cortisol, uh, decreases your, your risk aversion by 80%, so you're more likely to take bold moves in the world. I mean, it's this is stuff that's just uh, validating what we already know from personal experience. And that is the way you use your body and your voice has a powerful effect on how you feel. And if someone is depressed, they are doing something very specific with their body, with their voice, with their head, with their breathing. And if someone is feeling confident and excited, they're doing something very different. So right now, as I'm talking to you, Chris, I have a headset in and I am pacing back and forth. Because it gets my, and, I'm, and I make sure my head is upright and I'm using my hands, even though no one's seeing me right now, it carries an energy in my voice and it helps me feel more excited and more confident. So the short answer is there's a huge connection between our body and our emotions. Dating coach Chris Luna here. This is the perfect time to take a quick break to talk to you about three simple things that you can do to dramatically change your life. First, listen to this entire podcast 
and then subscribe through SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher. This way you'll immediately be notified every time we share a new release. If you listen and apply the ideas we discuss on these podcasts, it will change your life forever. Second, go to craftchrisma.com, create an account, and become a member of our community. There you can read articles, listen to podcasts, watch videos, ask us questions, and document your journey in our forums. Great men don't become great on their own. All great men are members of a community, and Craft Charisma is your community. Finally, if you're serious, and I know that you are, about making massive changes to your life as quickly as possible, check out our live coaching programs on our website. Craft Charisma live programs are the fastest way to improve your dating and social life. And who knows? Attend our live programs, let us get to know you, and you may end up as a member of the Craft Charisma team. Again, thank you for listening. Now back to the podcast. I, mean, I agree with you. I mean, these are these are things that we often talk about uh, even at our classes in New York, and I think that they're um, I mean, they're really important foundations. If somebody is, let's say, somebody is out and about, they see a woman that they're attracted to at a Starbucks or in a bookstore or uh, on the street. Maybe it's at a party, some type of event, maybe even a work function, um, and they don't, they, they're not in the right kind of like emotional state or mood, right? Like they're, they're, they're struggling because they're, they haven't kind of worked through or maybe rooted this new narrative. Uh, they don't really feel like it's the appropriate time to start kind of doing some emphatic repetition. <laughs> so what, what, are, what are some things that they could do in the moment when they see someone that they're attracted to, to, to kind of change their emotions to get them into a place that they'll be, they're more likely to get a, a receptive, a receptive response, right? Because if they walk in and they're they have a really low energy and they're, and 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 they're nervous and anxious and they're transferring that to the other person, there's a good chance that that person's going to pick it up and, and and make them less inclined to talk to them. So, is there anything that you you'd suggest in the moment that people can do to kind of lead their emotions into a better place? Booze. And lots of it. <laughs> I mean, I'm joking. That's what most of us do, right? It's like make a, people walk into a place and they make a beeline for the drink table or the bar. And the reason that they're doing that is to manage a feeling of social anxiety. And this doesn't mean like a you know disordered level of social anxiety, just natural fear that we feel going into a social situation. And most people manage that. Even people who don't consider themselves shy or to have any challenges with us they'll do the exact same thing. They'll walk into a place and they'll go to a bar. And I think that it's okay. I'm not judging that. I just want to highlight that there are other ways to, to work with this stuff that are ultimately going to serve you more. And then, of course, if you want to have a drink too, sure, that's fine. But how do we shift our state? How do we shift our emotional uh, energy so that we feel better and, as you said, we get better responses? Because if we're in a really kind of negative, tense space or we're really attached to the outcome – you know, we tend to uh, not get what we want, unfortunately. So a few things. One, which is key, and it's so simple that most of us just are like, ah, that's too simple. Give me the more hardcore techniques. But, I mean, there's no technique that can beat this. And it's just your breath. I mean, so often we pay absolutely no attention. In fact, most of the people listening even listen for, I don't know, 40 minutes or whatever, have not even thought about breath. I haven't even felt your breath. So just take a moment and actually just 
feel the fact that you're breathing and not just think about it, but really feel like, what does it feel like to be breathing? And then how am I breathing? Am I breathing like shallow and into my upper chest or am I breathing all the way down to where my belly expands out as I breathe? And when I work with people on this, like some people don't even know how to breathe deep. Like they've lost that conditioning in their body and I have to help them recondition it. So that's the first thing to do when you notice that your energy is off somewhere, you're feeling bad or you're feeling scared or you're feeling critical or negative or irritated. Pay attention to how you're breathing and just deepen your breaths. Not to make anything happen, not to force anything, but just to start giving yourself the nutrient of oxygen that you need. Another thing you can do as you start to breathe is to notice what you're focusing on. Because oftentimes uh, what we focus on has a pretty strong effect on the emotions that we feel. So if you're thinking, I mean, you're, at this, you're part of your gathering and you want to go talk to someone and you're thinking, oh man, I, I don't, these people here are better dressed than I am or I don't really know what to say or oh, geez or, you know, and, you, and you're getting anxious then. then you're, so you're focusing on other people and comparing yourself to them. Or maybe you're feeling irritable and you're thinking, ah, this place sucks. I don't like this music. These things are no good. So you're focusing there on things that you don't like about the place. And so a really powerful way to shift this process is to get uh, your focus onto something better. And one of the best things to do is what you can appreciate about the people around you. I love this thing. I mean, it's uh, I use this all the time. Is you know, So your intention then when you go in to interact with someone is not to get something from them, not to get approval or get her number or get her to go out with you or whatever. It's, it's to, what can I appreciate about this person? And I, I mean, to be honest, is what I actually honestly ask myself is one level higher, but sometimes this freaks people out is, what can I love about this person? And how can I, how can I express this to them? How can I share this in a way that's not going to creep them out, but just like, you know, comp, a compliment is an expression of love and, and acceptance or approval. So how do I be the source of that rather than needing to get that from someone else? And if you start asking yourself that question, what do I appreciate about this person over there that I want to go talk to? Man, that's going to shift your focus. That's going to take a lot of that energy out of you and am I good enough and more into what you can give. And I'm sure you've seen this. When people get into that state, they become a lot more attractive to everyone around them. We talk about this all the time in the podcast. Your emotions are contagious. And there's like, mm. we can get into all these really specific technical kind of reasons um, that that this happens, but uh, you just like can understand it as kind of a fact. <laughs> when you're when you're depressed, the people around you are gonna feel uh, more depressed. Um, just like when you're around a depressed person, it's gonna bring your emotions down. Uh, if assuming that you're you're in a, a better place. Uh, if you are happy and the people around you, even if they're in a shitty place, you're going to bring their emotions up, even if it's just a little bit. But these these emotions become contagious. And so uh, we're talking a lot about our uh, a lot of these kind of building blocks, uh, some of the underlying kind of ideas or themes or strategies for for kind of be, being able to go into these situations and communicate the types of emotions that a person would want to communicate in order uh, to kind of get positive reciprocation. So I, mean, I like a lot of things that you're talking about so far. Do you want to talk a little bit about the process? We've gone through a lot of specific ideas, but if somebody starts to go out and they've made the decision, like all these things that we're talking about, they're, they're ready to kind of go out there and use, but they're not really sure 
kind of what the, the, the step should be, what, how, how, what the process should be to go out and building, not just, not just getting past social anxiety, but building strong foundational social skills. Um, do you have some ideas or thoughts on what, how somebody should start and, and where that process should evolve from those first beginnings? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So if you were to take a step back and just think, okay, here I am, I'm in my room, I'm listening to this podcast. Okay, okay, maybe there's something I can do to change this. Now what do I go do? And I think the simplest place to start, the kind of the fundamental organizing principle to guide you, you forward in this process is to uh, turn towards what you fear instead of avoiding it. So it's a huge shift is when you can make that fundamental shift from avoidance to approach in terms of what you fear. For me, that happened. For me, that happened when I when I read a book called "Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway" by a woman named Susan Jeffers. And the title of the book tells you everything you need to know. Feel the fear and do it anyway. And in it, she helped me realize that fear was part of life. Fear was an indicator that you're moving towards something that's the edge of your comfort zone. And on the other side of that fear is where you're going to feel fulfilled, expanded. You're going to have the life that you want. And so we have so many patterns of avoidance. I don't go out. I don't go talk to those people. I don't interact. I don't make eye contact when I walk down the street. I don't, I don't, I don't. So to really start this process, you have to make a decision in yourself to turn towards what you fear and to stop avoiding it. And then from there, there's many things you can do. You can you know, all the kind of, we've been talking a lot about psychology and how to work with your inner psychology, but if you want to keep it really simple, just go out into the world and start doing things that scare you. Now, not the scariest things, because that can be overwhelming, but just slightly scary things. So when I work with people, you know, depending on what level you're at, uh, go up to five different people in different places and ask them what time it is. Excuse me, do you know what time it is? Uh, You want to do something else, you can walk down a slightly busy street and uh, there's a lot of foot traffic and just greet 25 people as you walk by them. Hey there, how's it going? Hey, how you doing? That kind of thing. And this is, for a lot of people, this is moving towards what scares them at a very low level, a very easily manageable level. And I encourage people to do that until it no longer scares them anymore. And sometimes you might have to greet 25 people a day for 10 days before you start to feel totally relaxed doing it. And that's great. That's part of the process. And it teaches you so many things about interacting with people about your energy, about rejection, all this stuff. So that would be a a really kind of simple, fundamental way to take this and get started. Um, And then the second part of your question was about social skills. And the only way to learn social skills at the deepest level is to practice socializing. And out of our fear of rejection or fear of not doing it right, fear of failure, fear of disapproval, we say, you know what? Let me study it all first, then I'll figure it out. I mean, I have this when one of the, you know, I help people with all areas of confidence and work and business and public speaking, and, but one of them is dating. And what I find a common theme in guys for dating is they're like, I want to figure it all out, and then, then I'll go talk to her. <laughs> and, uh, you know, really it's about getting out there and seeing what works. And I have a, a little baby right now as my first first child, he's seven months old, and he's trying to figure out how to crawl. And it involves this like weird process where he gets onto his hands and his knees, and he just starts rocking back and forth. Like the fundamental leap is, is going to be when he takes his little right hand 
and puts it in front of his other hand and kind of falls forward onto his hand. And most likely the first time he does that, he's probably going to fall and hit his face. He's going to get up and he's going to do it again. He's going to fall and hit his face. And that's the same way that we're going to learn any skill, whether it's crawling, walking, or socializing and developing those social skills. So I'd say getting out there and practicing is the biggest uh, step in the whole process. And finally, to accelerate that, though, you can also model and learn from people who know this well, which is exactly what you provide. Is you, you know, in addition to encouragement to do it, you also teach them things that are very specific that are going to get better results faster. So find someone who you can learn from or model your friend who's already good at it. Study what they do. Don't think, oh, it's not fair that he's just better than I am. This is not fair. Instead, focus on what is he doing? Specifically, what does he do with his face, with his body? How does he, what kind of questions does he ask? How does he relate to people? And then model it. Take what works for you and bring it into your life. And that will rapidly accelerate your progress. That's wonderful. One of the examples that we'll often talk about is uh, we, we have kind of these foundations that people need in order to learn anything. And, and they're kind of information, community, consistent practice. And if you need help with any of those three things, it's, it's kind of mentorship. But when we talk about knowledge uh, or information, when we're talking about that specific foundation, we we'll often tell guys, you know, if you're practicing shitty strategies or bad strategies, it doesn't matter if you're the best in the world at them, you're still going to get bad results. So you, you want to find people who, who can do the things that you want to do, um, whether it's us or somebody else, it doesn't really matter. But, and, and this is moves way beyond dating moves in every aspect of your life, finding people who have developed extraordinary habits and strategies around something that you want to be able to do. And even if you're not ever as good as, as, as them, uh, you'll still get good results versus if you master uh, if you master bad habits. So I, I think that um, I love the things that you're saying. I wanted to actually kind of move into something even slightly more specific, but it's along the same same line. So we we talked about fear of rejection, or you you asked me kind of what the biggest fears are, and and, and it is uh, I, I, in my experience it is rejection, and uh, my assumption is that for you it's the same, um, but. I do get really specific things like guys tell me, you know, women won't talk to me because I'm, I'm too old or because of my ethnicity or I have an accent. Like I grew up in another place. I don't like the way I look, uh, part of my body, my nose, my eyes, my ears, uh, the shape of something or other, uh, but they don't like a part of the way they look. They tell me that they can't um, they can't do it because they're not tall enough or I've had guys who are really tall who actually shrivel up because they don't want attention right so they'll they'll slouch down they'll pull into themselves uh, because they actually don't want the attention uh, personal history or baggage guys are like I I can't date or women won't date me because I have uh, I have this history or I have this baggage that I'm embarrassed to talk about uh, other guys are concerned about money right like I'm not rich I, I'm like there's guys who have more money who are in a more stable life situation or better financial situation or living situation. I mean, I could go through kind of more, but it tends to be kind of the exact same narratives. And so, I mean, it's still, I guess, in a lot of ways revolves around these narratives that uh, that people tell themselves. But I'm curious if you could maybe address a couple of these in a way that somebody who is listening to, to this podcast and they are struggling with one or two of them, um, they can use a strategy 
in, in order to kind of pursue and, and, and achieve uh, or at least move closer to some of their goals. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's quite the extensive list. You can tell you've done your homework and talked to a lot of guys and gotten their reasons, a.k.a. their stories, as to why their dating life can't be what they want it to be or they can't get into the relationship or relationships that they want. They can't meet the love of their life, whatever it is they're going for. Listen, you know, they're telling you, Chris, there's a reason why I can't do it, okay? I know other people out there might be able to do it, but I can't, and here's why. And whatever someone says after that kind of setup is just going to be a story. It's just an idea. But you know what? Our stories are really, really true for us. You know, you could, you could look at someone else and say, you know, there's a guy who's like, oh, I'm, I'm bald, so no woman's going to want me. And, you know, you could look at him from the outside and say, no, dude, this guy's actually really attractive. Like, I don't know what he's talking about. Bruce Willis is bald. I mean, you know, th- that's, not, that's not an obstacle. I mean, it's, come on. This is total. I can see right through his story. But then it comes to me. No, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Seriously, the area around my eyes is really, really unattractive. I mean, I've even had people tell me that that's true. And so, look, my story is for real. And it feels that way. And if you're listening to this and you have some story that Chris mentioned or that he didn't even mention, and you're like, oh, my God, he didn't even mention it, so mine's totally unique. (laughs) Trust me, they're all shades of the same color. They're all story. They're all designed to protect you from one thing. And that is that uncomfortable feeling you get in your heart and your guts when you feel like you're not good enough, when you feel like you're not going to be loved. But the only way to overcome that fear is to step boldly into it and risk that that might happen, that you might get rejected. And so whatever stories you got, as long as you cling to them, they're going to stop you because ultimately that's what a story does, right? The guy's saying, look, I'm bald or I don't have enough money. And you say, okay, let's say that were true. So what? So I can't go talk to her. So I can't take that risk. So all the story is designed to do is keep us safe, keep us static, keep us stuck. And so to really shift through that, you have to say, okay, I'm telling myself a story. What's underneath? I'm fucking scared. That's all that it is. I'm just scared. And that's great because when, we, you know, and as men, we're kind of like, I'm not going to admit that. No, listen, I'm not scared. It's just the facts of life. And I had one guy I was talking to who was like, listen, I did an online dating thing and I got no responses. And then just before I canceled my membership because it was a total waste of time, I clicked on the thing that said that I made 100K plus a year. And guess what? Women started responding to me. <laughs> and he spit the words out with like disgust and he like sort of, to prove his point that it's all about the money. And, you know, we, we, we cling to these stories because underneath we're just scared. And he didn't want to admit that. But when we can really admit that and be honest with ourselves and say, I'm just scared, and then we know what to do because fear is an invitation. That's all it is. It's an invitation to prepare and to act. And when you are stuck in your story, you're not acting. You're avoiding. And when you can let that go and say, I'm just scared and then decide, I'm going to take this action. Because the truth of it is, for anything that you have that you think is going to be the reason that you can't be attractive or can't get the success that you want, there's someone else who has that exact same thing that you have, but worse, who is already successful. Whether it's bald or overweight or not enough money, I mean, they're already getting the women or getting the success that they want, so how come it didn't stop them? And I'll end with one little story about this. There was one guy I worked with 
who worked in a kind of a bank, uh, in the banking system in New York in this kind of high pressured environment. And he was kind of a junior level associate there. And he was around all these senior level executives and he felt really nervous and he wouldn't speak up in meetings. And he'd tell himself, I don't know what I'm talking about. What if I make a mistake? And his biggest fear is when I talk uh, and I get nervous, I blush. And oh my God, if I blush, they're going to look at me and they're going to think this kid can't hack it here. He's a waste of space. They're not going to take him seriously. And all this story, right? My blushing means this. And I said, interesting, interesting. Um, you know, who's someone in the, in the meeting who really seems to be confident in charge? And he's like, oh, it's the CEO. And I was like, oh, interesting. Does his face ever get red? And he's like, yeah. I mean, he gets red all the time. And I'm like, is he blushing? He's like, I don't know. He just gets flushed. And I said, interesting. So if you were to ask him, what does, you know, does his uh, face getting flushed, you know, make him not want to talk or not want to speak up? What would he say? And the guy just looked at me as if I was like crazy or something. He's just like, he'd say, what are you talking about? I don't care. I'm here to do the meeting. Just what are you saying? It wouldn't even make sense to that guy. So for everything that you, for whatever your particular reason is, there's someone else who has that reason who's already 10 steps ahead. So drop the story, acknowledge that it's fear, and then stop avoiding and take action in the face of your fear. I mean, that's, that's wonderful. So many different ideas kind of popped in my mind, even with, even with that. Um, and this is kind of like, in a lot of, lot of ways, like kind of a, a lower level idea, but it's something specific. If somebody is out there and, and they're having trouble, for example, speaking up in a meeting, something as simple as like doing nonprofit work um, or getting on boards that you feel comfortable in, um, where there's like less serious consequences if, or you feel there's less serious consequences if you were to make a mistake, can be really helpful in incubating the experiences that you need in order to feel more confident in these other environments that you um, that yet that you feel nervous in now, and that's just kind of like a like a like a something specific specific that as you were talking, I was thinking about that could be helpful even for guys who want I guess moving into like another uh, a tangent along uh, like a similar parallel. If you're nervous as a guy and you're you have a hard time approaching. Uh, for example, women around particular friends, taking yourself out of that environment and putting yourself into another environment where uh, you have more supportive guys. Maybe the guys are not uh, competing so directly with you or um, they're less aggressive, whatever. Uh, they're more positive. Putting yourself into that environment will oftentimes give you the space that you need in order to begin to incubate uh, some of these specific skill sets on a um, on a kind of a, a lower level. I mean, he's just talking about this stuff in like in a really grand, like awesome way, and and, and with really specific uh, steps that you can kind of use. But even if some even some of the things that you're talking about, Aziz, I can see how um, if the guys are looking for just like a maybe a little bit more kind of toned down or mellow um, atmosphere to incubate these ideas there are ways to approach it and do that so they can test these kind of concepts that you're talking about. Does this make sense to you? Absolutely. And one of the things that I hear in there is, the, and I love the term incubate. And I mean, there's no substitute for confidence like competence. And so working on something in a low pressure environment, in a place where there's low consequences, uh, you know, getting away from environments where you feel really inhibited 
And instead of saying, okay, I'm going to go in there to this really hard environment, I'm going to make it happen. I mean, sure, sometimes you can get yourself to do it, but sometimes that just backfires and leads to a lot of self-criticism and self-judgment. And so finding those environments that are safer and easier to really practice and build up that, that competence, so then you're like, oh, well, I could do it there, so why not here? And that's really a great insight that I think you shared there. We're kind of running over on time. I think this has been a wonderful interview, and it's been amazing to kind of pick your brain. Are there any kind of last tips, strategies, ideas, suggestions, um, words of wisdom that you can give to the guys who are listening to this? Sure. Um, you know, we talked a lot about how to shift things and how to change things and take action and change your story and do things that you're scared of. And that's all great stuff that's really going to help you on your path. But if there's one thing that's even more important than all of that and something that I didn't know at first that led to a lot of suffering, even though I was making progress, is this idea of self-compassion and really uh, having a big focus of acceptance for yourself and your feelings and your emotions and where you are in your process and really becoming very skilled. And I really believe it's a skill and it's one that I teach skilled in how you relate to yourself. Do you tend to relate to yourself from a place of demanding perfection, never enough? All oh, that sucked. I, yeah, sure. I went and talked to her, but I didn't get her number. And you think you're motivating yourself by demanding more and more and more, but actually you are slowing your process down because some part of you doesn't like being criticized, even if it's by you. And so uh, if there's one thing I would say as you move forward with all this stuff, because we were very action-oriented, very yang-oriented in this conversation, is the yin, is the restore, is the restoration and the acceptance. And um, something as simple as putting your, uh, your palm on your chest, putting your hand on your heart and taking several deep breaths into your heart and offering yourself acceptance and compassion for whatever you're dealing with and, and giving yourself empathy. I mean, that's a, that's a whole, uh, we could probably talk an hour about that, but I really think that's an important thing for people to, to learn more about and to really commit to practicing as well. Aziz, this has been incredible. Uh, hopefully we can get you to come back on and talk about some of these other questions that I, I really want to pick your brain about, but I, I think that, um, we covered a lot already and, uh, I, I think the listeners are going to really appreciate it or are already appreciating um, some of the insights that you've given them and, and when they go out and actually apply some of these ideas, uh, some of the results that they're going to get. So thank you again. It's been an absolute pleasure. And if you're listening you want to learn more about Dr. Aziz, his coaching, the different things that he does, I'm going to post some links on the Craft Charisma website and within the description of this podcast so that you can learn about him more easily. Thank you again. You're welcome, and thank you so uh, so much. I really enjoyed talking with you, and I feel like, uh, you know, it was me talking a lot, but I can just hear how much you know this subject inside and out. And I would uh, one day love to uh, to pick your brain because I think you have a, a lot to offer. It's dating coach Chris Thona here. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen, and we absolutely love making this podcast. We make this podcast for you, so if there's somebody that you want on the show, let me know. I will yell, scream, stand in front of their house, do everything I gotta do to get them on the show for you. Also, don't hesitate to follow the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes and Stitcher. You can also give us a shout out through social media, Facebook, Twitter, share it with your friends. And lastly, go to the Craft Christmas website and create an account. There you can talk about the podcast and kind of communicate with me directly. So thank you again for taking time to listen. You will hear again from me soon.